You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 50 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website, StarWarsReport.com. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page, facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here, let's get the show started. I am one of your hosts, Nathan P. Butler. With me as always, my stomach companion and the defender of the EU, Mr. Mark Herleman. Hey, Mark. Hey, how is it going? Everybody out there, Beyonders, fans of Star Wars and the Expanded Universe, you all know my little companion here, Whistler. Great little droid. Just uh, recently got my studio almost back up to fully functional i've got half of it still got stuff stacked up but the bookshelf end is back to normal i just got done sharing uh, the photo with the uh, facebook account and the twitter account there I, I i'm bummed i've got milk crates kind of lifting it up off the ground in case it leaks on the outside i got tarps uh, draped off the walls to kind of deflect the water but the raising of the bookshelf cost me where i was stacking my hardback uh, books before it's now actually touching the shelf above it but I actually found all my uh, Dark Horse two packs that I have, and they now fit that shelf. And oh, I, I'm actually very, very happy with the look of it all. It's looking really cool. So I, I can't wait to do more work on it. I'm actually jazzed. I've been staying out of the uh, studio for the last three weeks with all the raining that we've been having and it flooding. I was only coming out changing blankets and towels on the floor to save everything from getting ruined. So it was really depressing coming out here and recording it all. But I'm actually at a spot again where I'm like, yeah, my studio's making shape. Yeah, see, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by the look of the studio. I wish I had a room I could dedicate to my Star Wars collection. At this point, I've got the bookshelves that, of course, are behind me. If you've been watching the uh, From the Star Wars Library video series, right, youtube.com slash user slash chronoradio, where you can find that. Um, lots and lots of episodes I've been producing of that. I've kind of shifted some stuff around me, like my Clone Wars autograph picture is now sitting uh, on the shelf behind me instead of just seeing like some random books on that particular shelf. But that's all. I mean, it's just those shelves that I can really dedicate to it. And somebody was asking, uh, uh, hey, how about a little supplemental video to go with the series about uh, the comics? We want to see the comics, but there's just nothing to see. I mean, my comics are all stuffed in a back room. They're long boxes amid a bunch of other long boxes. It's more like, we want to see the mess if you want to see that back room. I'd love to be able to dedicate some space to the to the whole collection, especially since, you know, we're getting to the point where the collections are becoming so large that they finally warrant rooms of their own. I can remember when it was just, you know, a few books on a bookshelf up in the corner, and that was it. Whoa, we're way, way, way past that now. Yeah, my paperback one, I finally got to the point where one whole side is almost 100% Star Wars books and Star Wars books alone. I, I'm, I'm taking across the last uh, one right now, Fate of the Jedi is just pushing it out into there, and I'm just loving it. I mean... I, I think, and this might work for you with your comics, uh, you know, with people asking for the comics. What I'm planning on doing, because I got so many action figures that I can't even, I can't display them. I, I was so OCD in not opening them that I would buy two and sometimes three of each one at one point. So I had one to open and one that stayed in the box. And so I have them in the, these boxes that are on the top shelf. So what I'm planning on doing is pulling them out, kind of taking pictures of them in groups and maybe making and adding those to a video. So maybe you could do something like that with your comics where you have a picture of the collection and then you do your little thing and, you know, add it in that way. I don't know. That's something I'm planning on doing down the road is a way to, at least for me, I could go back and watch the video and go, oh, 
all my cool stuff. Because right now when I open up a box and I go through it, I'm just like, yes, oh, I missed this. I mean, granted, there's moments where I open it and a package is curling, you know, the edges and stuff are bending around themselves. And I'm like, no, why, why? But then there's other times where I open it up and I see the episode three Emperor Palpatine and he's got the blue lightsaber because of the deleted scene that got cut out that was never used. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I love that toy. That was such a steal. I mean, I do take some pictures. I mean, I've got that uh, Flickr, uh, Flickr, I think it's just Flickr.com, F-L-I-C-K-R.com, slash Nathan P. Butler. That's my username over there. So, I mean, I've got my uh, my pictures of the whole comic collection, the book collection, everything, the ones that used to be on our Facebook page until they changed it to Timeline, and it screwed it all up, and now there's so many of them. I don't want to reload all of them, only for Facebook to screw it up again at some point. <laughs> um we haven't taken the pictures. I just, it'd be nice to have somewhere to display them. They used to be alongside my books on the bookshelf in chronological order, but we're just beyond the point where that's even remotely feasible. I mean, it's what, four book towers and plus the two long shelves or something now? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of space that it's taking up. And a lot of that, of course, is from 2012 because we had a lot of new publications. So, Mark, what are we talking about this time? That's right. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask those tough questions. You know, the questions that have bothered you a long, long time, or the simple ones that have perplexed you off or on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. We ponder about all things. And in this episode, we look back once again over the previous year of Star Wars publishing. This episode, we will be focusing on the novels of 2012, with our next episode being comics, and the one that follows being games, television, and the rest. Consider this your spoiler warning, boys, girls, and fans of all generations, because here we go. That's right, and we had a lot of major new releases this year. I mean, the I would say this is probably the best year, or at least it feels like one of the best years in a while when it comes to Star Wars publishing. We got a lot of stuff, and a lot of what we got was really, really good quality stuff. I guess where I'd want to start is kind of if we were to try to take this giant list of stuff that we're looking at that we've compiled prior to the show uh, and try to compile it down into like maybe little chunks. I would say that one of the cool things about the year was the return of Darth Maul. And yeah, that's going to be something we'll deal with with the Clone Wars cartoon series. But there's several things that connect to Darth Maul that we had come out this year. We had a re-release of Darth Maul Shadowhunter in paperback with the short story Restraint in it, which was new. We had the Phantom Menace novelization get re-released with a new short story called Endgame. We had The Wrath of Darth Maul, which is one of those Star Wars biographies by Ryder Wyndham. And, of course, we could sort of, of fold that into also we have the Darth Plagueis novel by James Luceno, which also gave us a little bit of introduction to them. And between that and Wrath of Darth Maul and the two short stories, they all kind of interweave with each other to give us a much deeper Darth Maul than what we're used to. I would say that was one of the highlights of the year, but often forgotten because, you know, two of them were those little short stories in the paperback re-releases. And you may recall, folks, this was one of the big Star Wars blunders by Del Rey because when they released those those uh, paperback re-releases of something that was already released in paperback, people were having an incredibly hard time getting their hands on these at bookstores because at least around release time, these things had the same ISBN number, which meant that if you ordered them through somewhere, who the heck knows which one you were going to get. I had to order repeatedly through the local bookstore trying to get the right one, and repeatedly they got the wrong one with the same ISBN and had no way to correct that. So, gotta yeah. say, bit of a bit of a, a, a foobar situation there, but 
from a content standpoint, I like the fact that now we actually care more about Darth Maul. He's not just a the the one-dimensional character he was made out to be in The Phantom Menace. That issue, that was both with uh, Shadowhunters re-release and the, the Phantom Menace novelization. Both of those had had that same issue, which which was, to me, that's what the part was funny. It was like, okay, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, or, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on you. I mean, what? The fact that they didn't fix that when they saw that coming with the first one was like, wait, why didn't somebody go in there and make a change? Because I had the same issue. I remember, like, I got lucky and got the wide size version uh, that was exclusive to Walmart. And I mean, I, I, I'm i okay with the aspect of it fits in my bookshelf and doesn't stick out. You know, at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about bookshelves. And I absolutely hate the fact that my bookshelf, well, yeah, it looks great, but I can't fit the premium trades on there. I can't fit the comics on there. Anything that's a little bit longer doesn't fit on the shelf. It will only fit the paperbacks. And so it, it I, I don't like having two timelines going on in a sense. And so that's one of those things where it's like, man, you know, only be able to get that one that was light, a little bit wider. You know, I, I felt like I scored out because I was able to get it and I was able to get the content, but it wasn't the version that I was hoping to get because of that ISB number. And that really was irritating. Yeah, it was kind of a mess. But I mean, I got to say, uh, we talked a lot about our praises for Darth Plagueis when we did that multi-part review when Peter Morrison joined us. I mean, that was an amazing, amazing book. But I think we got to give credit also to those other three because Wrath of Darth Maul gave us – of all the Star Wars biographies, I think that was the one that gave us the most new material. I mean it was different points in his early training. Uh, it takes him to where we see him training in Restraint and it ties directly into Restraint. Let's us know what happens after Restraint. Uh, Restraint and it wind up playing into the whole thing with the Knight Sisters and whatnot of Dathomir and him being a Knight Brother. I mean Endgame even – while somewhat contradictory, it seems like with certain other stories that have been told as far as, you know, how much time does Darth Maul have to run to all these different places during the Battle of Naboo while it's still going on, um, it still even gave us one of those cool moments because that story gave us that moment where one of the uh, – it was one of the, the local Naboo resistance type people turns to Maul in sort of a mocking way and says, you know – uh, something along the lines of, well, you know, uh, tell Hego to mask high for me or something along those lines, uh, or referring to his master. And Maul's like, who? Because at this yeah. point, Maul doesn't know that Darth Plagueis exists or that it's Hego de Mask that is Plagueis, of course, on top of that. So there's that level of, you know, him starting to doubt, you know, is he just a tool? Is he really meant to be the Sith Apprentice? Will he ever rule the galaxy side by side with Sidious? Uh, they, they've done a good job of turning him into a character that we can actually... I don't think root for is the right word, but we can we can get a sense of his of the reason behind his motivations for revenge on both the Jedi and the Sith in the Clone Wars cartoon series, aside from it just being about, well, you know, one of them cut me in half and the other one didn't come looking for me after I was cut in half. It's it's deeper than that and it goes back before he even died. Uh, I like that that touch that they've given to Maul here, mostly again through Lucino and and Wyndham. Yeah, I, I I would say yeah, root for him, man. I mean, that's where I'm at. I I like the way that the 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 TV show, the Clone Wars, is kind of giving us two groups of the Sith right now. Maul is definitely you know still considering himself a Sith. He's training his brother, and you know he's doing his own version of the rule of two in an essence. I mean, he hasn't monikered anyone else Sith, unlike Sidious to a degree. I mean, he's practically all butt calling other people Sith, but. You know, I'm totally rooting for Maul right now because I'm curious as to see where Sidious is going to go 
with this. I mean, we we just saw in the recent episodes that he knows Maul's out there. And so I've been wondering how that was going to go down. So I, I'm looking for a Sith on Sith conflict at some point. And everything that we've gotten, I, I believe the Wrath of Darth Maul, the bio, uh, I'm halfway through that one. That's why we haven't finished our uh, Maul coverage on that. And other books have come out and I just haven't been able to get back to it. But when I was reading the other two, uh, I can't remember if it was in Restraint or uh, the other one where they go to Dathomir. I believe it was on Dathomir, and they they have that whole like arena scene where the the witches are there. Oh man, it was it was a really cool action scene. I really was enjoying it, and everything about what it's done has definitely complemented the TV show. I mean, typically, usually one's better than the other, and in this case, they kind of really worked well together. I mean, I I did read the end of the bio to kind of see where you know Savage was going to meet up with him and how that was portrayed because I I, I want to spoil myself. It's been a while. I'm entitled. And so I, I did that and uh, got to see that. And it was it was cool. I liked the way they kind of lined up. I mean, it wasn't exact, but it was enough that it, it worked for me. That's right. And from the standpoint of Sith, I suppose that sort of opens up another topic for the 2012 books, at least in terms of ebooks. We have had the the end, I guess you could say, of the Lost Tribe of the Sith stories. Granted, we still have the continuation with a little bit of Spiral left at this point, the comic book series, but we finally got, in 2012, the book Lost Tribe of the Sith Secrets to tie into, of course, Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse, which we'll talk about. And once we got Secrets, that had wrapped up the ebook portion that was going to be reprinted as Lost Tribe of the Sith, the collected stories. So we finally got that book in paperback with that final story, Pandemonium, attached to it. And of course, that idea of the ebooks is going to be continuing. We'll see here, uh, as of two days after we're recording this, we'll have the short story or the novella by Timothy Zahn, Winner, Lose All, being released as a tie-in to the upcoming 2013 novel, Scoundrels. But I think Lost Tribe of the Sith was definitely a highlight of the year for me, though I'm not sure if I would say that this was the best year for Lost Tribe of the Sith. I mean, the stories that we got, Pandemonium was a good story, Secrets was a good story, and we talked about this when we covered it and broke it down into pieces. But, I mean, really, when you put this whole thing together, I would still say that the strongest stories in that are probably the ones that were released in previous years. It's probably those first few. But great to see it finally show up in print, albeit granted that means you're shelling out cash instead of getting them all for free, but you are getting more content with it than you would have for free anyway. It brings back that whole issue of buy versus, you know, getting something for free online, and at what point is it okay to have us repurchase something, which we talked about in the show. Yeah, and I, I still stand by my decision of, you know, I, I backed off the free stuff once I read the first two and decided I, I definitely want to get this. Um, and once they said that they were going to be doing, you know, it coming in a paperback, and I loved having it all in paper, being able to flip through and read it all, and hey, you know, power goes out, I don't have to worry about being able to read it or not, you know, I grab my copy, I sit next to my candle, and I enjoy Sithness in the Dark, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of those, I, I think that was probably for me, it is up there with Dark Plagueis, I, I, I had a very Sithly year, I mean, they were they were probably some of my favorite books, one I haven't been able to get yet that I'm really looking forward to because I like the prequel to it, uh, Jedi Path, is the uh, Book of the Sith, or Book of Sith, I guess, I always, I think they should have called it Book of the Sith, but it's Book of Sith, and it's the uh, holocron, the Sith pyramid-shaped holocron with the uh, lights and actions, it's got a, a Sith crystal inside of it, and I believe a medallion, and the Book of Sith, and all sorts of really cool stuff, I really wish I had that one, I know you, uh, Nathan, I believe you have that? Yep, 
Yep. That's, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's got the little lightsaber crystal type thing in it. It's got the talisman that supposedly was the one that Maul, or I guess that Savage was using that Mother Talisman put Maul's blood on so that she could track it, or that he could track him down later on. Uh, it's really pretty cool. I mean, I like the Sith uh, holocron pyramid shape to it. It makes it freaking huge. Uh, and sometimes it does have a little bit of a click, 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 click bit of trouble as it's trying to take the the different pieces back together when you do the reverse, I guess, of the of the opening process, because it, it is all motorized, basically. It's battery-operated motorized. But I like the fact that the book, it's different than the Jedi Path in that the Jedi Path is like one training manual book for Jedi, and it's got different comments that have been written in there by different owners throughout the years. And Book of Sith does the same thing, is that Book of Sith is not some type of sort of training manual, because the Sith don't have just a tome training manual. It's not like there's an official Sith Academy in the era in which this would wind up getting into the hands of someone who could then pass it along, in theory, you know, being the backstory of the book. But instead, what we get is, you know, we've got different sections. we got one that's written way back during the early days of the Sith, you know, when they're first conquering the Sith species, right after the Hundred-Year Darkness. We get a section written by Darth Bane, so around the time of the Battle of Rusan and afterwards. we got another section that's written uh, during the period of the Great Galactic War for the Tor era. We've got a part that's, uh, you know, added in there from Mother Talzin's writings and so on and so on. There's all these different Sith who each have their own sections, and each section has its own style, has its own look. Even the pages have their own look in terms of the borders, the way they're crinkled on the sides. I mean, they went all out for this, and I'm hoping that at some point they'll do like they did with Jedi versus Sith, or not Jedi versus Sith, uh, the Jedi Path, and put out a non-deluxe edition that's much cheaper for the same content, just without the holocron. Yeah, that was that was what I found interesting is when they did that with Book of the Path because or Jedi Path. I have that one, and you know, I, I I love the fact that they decided to make the Sith one a holocron. It kind of bums me that they didn't think of that with the other, but the fact that they're keeping it in universe though it makes me wonder: should they at some point kind of write this holocron in? To have it be lost somehow, or at least mentioned, because I know like like Palpatine's holocron's been mentioned in other works and stuff like that, and I and I like the fact that they're making this in universe, but then I question like, should they write it in and make it official in universe? Yeah, and it's one of those things where even if they did, they'd have to do something with it to say that well, it's not so much that it was a, a holocron; it might be a fake holocron because there was this physical book that was hidden inside it. You know, that's the one place where. I was kind of shaking my head at whether or not to call this a holocron. I mean, I guess it's holocron designed, and that's what they were referring to it as. But, I mean, a holocron doesn't have a book in it. A holocron is the tome of knowledge in and of itself. So it's this weird kind of hybrid thing going on. And again, I wish I had space to display this stuff. I would take yeah. that out of the box and sit it somewhere. Instead, now it's just bundled up inside the box. A box you basically have to take apart to get it out, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that box and the Jedi Path are just sitting... Uh, you know, right beside each other on a bottom shelf of that huge set of bookshelves that I've got, but it's just the box. You know, there's just well, no room for it. Now, it sounds like, in a sense, that the book is acting like, in the Star Wars universe, like a hologram. Uh, that the book itself, each each section you mentioned, is just a different avatar being presented, but in the Star yeah. Wars galaxy, it would well, be in a hologram. Yes, and I mean, it would be a hologram in the Star Wars galaxy, possibly. But you've got the annotations written in it. So in that sense, I want to argue that oh. it, it's meant to be a book even in the universe, just like the Jedi Path, because you've got annotations by Plagueis, by Vader, by Sidious, uh, and so forth throughout. So part of me says, you know, as much as it would make more sense for it to be a hologram, 
I think this probably is an actual book. Though we, I mean, there is precedent for that. You know, we had Darth Bane getting access to uh, libraries of Sith knowledge, and we've got the stories of Sidious going around and trying to use black market dealers to get previous uh, forbidden Sith knowledge in some form. I mean, it, it could go either way. Well, but it makes sense what you're happen. suggesting. The, the way you suggest it where it's a book hidden inside of it actually does make a lot of sense. I mean, okay, if, if we were considering this was really moved from that galaxy and it came and just landed on our doorstep, nobody's going to be able to access it because no one here is able to touch the Force. So that would make sense. But if you were able to trick the physical mechanisms to get it to open up you know, the latching to get at the tray of stuff inside that I guess would, would, would work a little more. Maybe, maybe that's what's up. Maybe if it went back to the other galaxy, they could access the holocron aspect. I, I just, I like the way that they do that. And it's, it's fun because, okay, uh, action figures again, I've got a hologram, uh, the little hollow emitter, uh, that when I dress up for Star Wars day or Halloween or whatever, and I'm wearing my Jedi robes and I got my lightsaber on, I attach that to the belt because it's life size. It's really cool. It lights up. I take my hologram action figures, stick them on there. Ooh, look, I'm talking to Mace Windu. Ooh, I'm talking to Kyoto Mundi. Ooh, I'm talking to Commander Cody. It, it, it's a lot of fun to get into that stuff when you're cosplaying it up, man. Well, on the subject of this whole idea of sort of playing the role in the Star Wars universe, we've got another batch, another set of new publications here that came out this year. Uh, two that actually were, were very, very good, tied into the Old Republic MMO, which, of course, just went free to play, though we'll deal with that when we talk about the video games in the third part of our 2012 year in review here. But we had two big publications in that. We have Tor Annihilation, which we just reviewed recently on the show, and the really, really good Dorling Kindersley gigantic slip-cased book, The Old Republic Encyclopedia. Uh, as someone who is, as I've said on the show before, who has been watching those class storylines through YouTube and sort of getting a feel for the universe and the era that is the Old Republic, I was very impressed by both of these. That encyclopedia almost makes it unnecessary to play the game to have what you need to understand that era, and that's something I was begging for ever since they first announced the Old Republic. I was hoping that you wouldn't have to play to be able to really understand it because, you know, it's an important era of Star Wars now, apparently, and <laughs> I'd hate for it to be an era in which you could only follow it in that way. I mean, it's not quite as as good a way of transmitting it over as, say, doing like they did with Jedi Knight, where they took it and made graphic novels out of it, you know, where you can read it as prose fiction, but if you're not going to have it as prose fiction, this encyclopedia is about as good as we're going to get, and it is really good as far as being able to translate a giant MMO story of eight different character classes, three different acts each, plus all the backstory, into something you can read without sitting at the computer for most of your natural life. Two quick questions on this real quick, because I, I don't have it. A, uh, what is the price? And B, could you see a supplement or second edition with the continuing content ad additions to the game that come out down the road. Man, I can't talk all of a sudden. I love too. I I'm all of a sudden a Bothan. Actually, now that you mention that, let me take that back. It's not slipcased. It's just a really nice hardcover with a dust jacket. I had taken off the dust jacket so I didn't mess it up, and I've been looking at the big part for so long, I was thinking of it the same way I think of Star Wars year by year with the slipcase. So, pardon me. It is not slipcased. It's just a really nice hardback, and about the size of Star Wars year by year, the price tag, if you're paying full retail, is 40 bucks. Honestly, I think it's worth it. I mean, given the fact that a regular Star Wars novel is like, what, 25 or so, going up towards 30 now? 
But you can probably find it for significantly cheaper through Amazon. I believe that's what I did uh, originally, probably like 20 bucks, give or take 20, 25. I mean, it's, it's well worth it. This thing is gigantic, it is full color, and it's 350 or so pages long. And it's got a lot of detail to it. Nice. Speaking of detail, though, uh, another one that we got, uh, it was, I believe, my first uh, of the uh, free solicitations from Del Rey was the Essential Reader's Companion by Pablo Hidalgo. Uh, and, and that, I believe, is the inspiration of from the Star Wars Library by Nathan P. Butler. That is correct. That uh, uh, that really got me going on it, though, again, th- this is a book that, I mean, it was an awesome book. This is one of my favorite essential guides. As far as essential guides that are not in-universe, it probably is my single favorite one in Star Wars ever. And we got some really good ones. This You've got that and another that I'll mention momentarily. Um, great book. Ryder Wyndham does a bang-up job on it. I just wish that they had also been able to include comics because that comic companion is is long out of date at this point, and it doesn't look like there's an updated version coming anytime soon. Yeah. Did you say Ryder Wyndham? Did I say Ryder Wyndham? Sorry, I meant uh, Pablo Hidalgo. I keep, I'm getting my things mixed up because I'm looking at a sheet that's got the different yeah. the, the different I, writers. I, I figured that's what you were doing. Uh, you know, I, I have to agree. I think if they'd have made this one in-universe, I don't think you could have got the level and the depth to what's going on behind the scenes in the Star Wars universe. I, I just don't think it would have worked. I think it had to be done the way Pablo handled it. And I, I, I love, you know, that it handles so much of the plots in each book without getting too spoilerific. I mean, you know, I, I, for me, I, I go back to the chronology and the essential chronology. Those were my favorites. And they were my favorites because of the fact that I could grab it. I could get to a book that I hadn't read yet or I couldn't find, you know, when I was just starting out and there was this huge, you know, array of Star Wars books that were coming out. Not as big as the people jumping in now, which is all the more reason why you need something like this. But back then I'd grab it. I'd read up on things. I'd be like, okay, this is the next book I want to get because these events sound like something I want to know how it happened. You know, it would give you just enough that you would, you would know that this event's going to happen, but you didn't know the, the hows and the whys of everything, you know, just the who's. And, and Pablo does a, a really good job of that. And the illustrations are just awesome. I mean, I mean, that's the first time I've been able to get my Thraken Sal Solo death scene, although it's a few seconds before what I really want. But hey, you know what? I am a happy fan. I'm able to see it. It was illustrated. We get the uh, Red Harvest, the zombie action there. Uh, you know, it, it really good stuff. But speaking of Red Harvest, I mean, that falls under our paperback re-releases. We had that, we had Deceived, uh, which moves us then into uh, Fate of the Jedi, or, or no, we had Choices of One, then Fate of the Jedi Vortex, Conviction, now Ascension, uh, which, you know, I, I really, I, I don't know, I mean, if you want to, we could go into those more, but they're kind of, you know, something we could dedicate to later. Uh, I was thinking we just kind of move right into the main one here, which was the last of the series, Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse. That's right, and that one, of course, you know, it's very controversial, in a lot of ways, in terms of how it wound things down, uh, how did Troy Denning approach this particular book, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I thought it went pretty well. I liked the way that it tied into the Clone Wars cartoon series, although that in and of itself was pretty controversial. I'm, I hate to say it, I'm glad to see Fate of the Jedi over. It ended, I think, on a strong note. It got better as it went along, but it was never quite up to par in my point of view with New Jedi Order or Legacy of the Force. So it's nice to see that having wrapped up so now we can move into other things. Although, you know, Crucible is still quite a bit away, as is the sort of the Jedi trilogy, apparently. So, you know, it's it's nice to see that it wrapped up on a strong note. I like the idea that they've sort of left it hanging, so that, I, I mean, I think at this point, people tend to have read it 
already. You know, we talked about it in the in the episode. The fact that now there is this artifact that the Jedi, not to be too specific, are trying to find, so that when Abeloth comes back again someday in the future, they can kill her. I like the fact that they left that open to be able to tell future stories with it. But there's nothing to say that Abeloth has to come back soon. So if they never get around to telling the story of it, then so what? You know, oh, well, she does come back. It's just so long after the legacy comics that we just didn't see it. And it perfectly writes itself away. You know, I, I have to admit the way that that ended kind of left me irked. But the potential for I, – I, I'm not exactly sure. The book's not in front of me. But there was like a – a group of 12 or something that they had a name and they were out seeking the, the artifact. But I could see a series based on that group and their struggles to find this artifact, kind of like how the end of the New Jedi Order was when they were getting close to Zenoma Sakat and how, you know, they could go out, maybe never find the artifact or get close to it at times or, or you know, get clues that are making them think they're really there. But they get sidetracked by this adventure or that adventure. I think that'd be a cool, you know, opportunity for Delray to tell some new stories about new EU characters. And continue the story that's been going on because I I actually liked Fate of the Jedi more than Legacy of the Force or even uh, Dark Nest. New Jedi Order for me though is still better. I, I still liked that one more, but there were a lot of really fun moments in Fate of the Jedi. And and yeah, I, I want to agree with you that it, there were some things that felt rushed. I think my biggest issue is when it came to tying in with the Clone Wars and all that. I really, I think I'd felt more comfortable with it if I knew that there was like more of George's hand or blessing behind that. But now that George has kind of stepped out of the picture, I, I, I question, does it even matter? At this point, you know, we still don't know what's going to happen because all the Disney stuff, see our Disney episode for more on that. But it's one of those things where until we get more, you know, information from Disney as to what's going to go on with the future of the EU, it's like, well, maybe that's not going to be a problem that it never got the George seal of approval. But to me, I, I think it was a really risky move tying it together. I mean, yeah, I like the aspect that once again the EU is complementing, you know, the TV shows and the other works. But what we've seen with the Clone Wars is it doesn't always complement the other way around, and that's where I see potential in the EU for more retcons that may not or may be needed down the road. And so that for me is a, is a hiccup that 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 really kind of was the one big negative. Um, the whole aspect of what happens to the big villain Abolith in it, you know, I, I go back and forth, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay with it. You know, I, I think, well, it'd be cool potential for these other stories, but if they don't do those other stories, I, I just, I wonder where they go next. And I really hope that they keep that in the mind, you know, that it doesn't become something like center point station where we see something really cool about it. And then we don't hear about it again until it's used one time in one series and it gets used really poorly. And then we again, never hear about it again, but we hint about it in the next series, but we get so focused on Ablis that we never actually talk about any of that stuff either. And so, you know, the potential is there and I get excited by that, but if the potential is never maximized, then I get disappointed. Right. I mean, at least when it came to the Mortis stuff, I mean, they went through Leland Chi, you know, he was, was speaking with Filoni about it and such, so even if it didn't necessarily go through Lucas himself, I mean, at least the, the Clone Wars team kind of had put their blessing on it, they'd had some input into the whole thing, so that hopefully it's not something we're going to see turn into you know, an absolute mess continuity-wise as they go forward with more of the Clone Wars, though again, you know, how much more of the Clone Wars we get when they may be switching to Disney XD, etc., etc., I mean, who knows where that's going to go. Speaking of last books in a series, yeah, we got the end of another series this time around, albeit one that is much lesser known, of course, 
And that was Star Wars: The Clone Wars Secret Missions. I mean, that was oh, a wow. uh, that it was a like kind of a, a frequently delayed series. It wound up having its first book, Breakout Squad, back in 2009, but then it took a year until we got 2010's Curse of the Black Hole Pirates, another year to get Duel at Shattered Rock, and then finally this year we got the fourth and apparently last book in the series according to writer Ryder Wyndham. That's who I was looking at earlier when we were talking about yeah. the uh, Essential Reader Companion. Uh, Guardians of the Chiss Key. It makes for a nice ending. Um, it, it, it actually plays out quite well. I like the way that they bring back a lot of, or that he, Ryder Wyndham, has brought back a lot of the elements of the earlier books. It doesn't feel like a series that a lot of the, the young reader books tend to do, which is, you know, kind of one-off stories. You know, you don't get a lot of continuity between, say, the books of Galaxy of Fear. I mean, it's there, but it's not something where you could go back and think of it as one whole saga. It's sort of episodic stuff with certain elements that carry through, like Project Starscream and whatnot. In this case, it really does feel as though it was planned out as a four-book arc. you got that uh, Strange Allies uh, Clone Wars Digest comic that somewhat ties back into it. It'd be interesting to see Nuru Kungurama back again, but at this point, it doesn't seem as though that is currently in the cards. It'd be cool to maybe even have him be a character in the films. Because, I mean, if the EU is already acknowledging the idea of a Chiss Jedi Padawan, even if he didn't realize who he was, at least not until he met someone from the Chiss Ascendancy uh, in that book series, then certainly it opens up the possibility of having a Chiss Jedi Padawan in the Clone Wars. I, I'm assuming that would probably cause people to start pulling out the hair and be like, wait, what? What are you doing? Thinking that that's setting a precedent, but the precedent has already been set in the book, so why not? I'm actually surprised Zahn hasn't taken this character and ran with him. I mean, I, I liked it. You know, I, I always I always joke about being a red-eyed Jedi and things like that. And now, bam, all of a sudden we got a Chiss red-eyed Jedi. Uh, I believe that we also had one of these books went through a title change. I think it was either two or three where it was called something else at some point, And then they decided because it went so long that the book three was going to become book four and something like that. One of the titles just disappeared. Uh, that, and that was because I, I was constantly waiting for more of this because it was a lot of fun. One of the things I noticed with the pirate one was that there was actually a moment where during the story, the cover was a moment in the book that everything about what was going on in the cover was an actual adaptation of a scene in the book. And I absolutely loved that, that I, I, I got a, a big kick out of that for like a whole day and a half. I was going on about this book's actually, you know, I'm pointing out, I always point out weird things like that to my wife. Like I made her read all of walking dead number 100 because of how it impacted me. I'm like, you got to read this. And then when it didn't impact her, I'm like, okay, you got to understand this character was like tied to that and this and that, and that event happened. And this is why it's like, this is emotional stuff. You got to understand. It's like, like it's tearing us up uh, trust me you're dying on the inside and and for me that was one of those things where just seeing the cover come to life like that i got really excited i mean it was really small it was really stupid but it was fun you know boris was there and or not boris but bosk was there and i'm like yeah and i believe like once again we see his arms get ripped off and i questioned i'm like man did he have time to grow these things back or did they just got like some super syringe that transoceans just inject to grow their limbs back faster well, it's all being told. All the Star Wars stories are told through a certain point of view, as I believe it was Chris Sarasi once said. It's like looking into a window to see into the Star Wars universe, and some of those windows are more foggy than other ones are. So maybe what we get is, uh, in other stories with Bosk in it, it's not actually arms he has. It's like little T-Rex arms, because they're still growing out. And they just show us as if they're big arms because they don't want to offend him in the galaxy far, far away. It's it's a matter of point of view. Well, from my perspective, he was still awesome, even if he had little teeny tiny T-Rex arms. 
Well, another thing, though, real quick, is that this series, the one reason I loved it above all else, is those people, those naysayers out there that would say, no, the Clone Wars is not the EU. Um, hello, Secret Missions? Yeah, Secret Missions, you've got Wild Space, you've got uh, the Gambit books, you've got the, the digests and whatnot. Although, I will say, I mean, still, if you zoom back out from a, an EU perspective, most of the Clone Wars tie-in stuff, stuff that not just happens to tie into the Clone Wars cartoon series, but is labeled as a tie-in, is still, for the most part, pretty self-contained. There's not a lot from those that affect anything else, barring things like Karen Travis not being able to help herself from bringing in Master Altus and Callista and making them her own characters and running with them in most of her stuff where she keeps bringing back the same characters on style, um, they really don't seem like they have much impact outside of it. You could erase the Clone Wars labeled books and comics from the EU and have virtually no impact on the broader saga. I mean, I, you could almost yeah. say that at one point about the Clone Wars cartoon series, but now that we've got Mortis and whatnot, there's, there's some broader implications there. Uh, I think speaking... one of the good things, though, about that is that you can, by the use of them being there, you can add the Clone Wars now to, like, our show. You know, a Clone Wars pod, or a, a EU podcast having the Clone Wars on it, because, you know, these works, they tie into that, and how that, you know, the TV show plays out, it affects these works. You know, kind of like how the same way with the EU, with the films, you know, the events of the films, kind of, you know, as the prequels came out, you started to see that shift in the EU where certain events and knowledge would would be filtered out, like R2, all of a sudden he remembers things about the Jedi Temple during episode three, and things like that, and how the two start to, you know, complement each other like that. It, 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 I agree with you that they're all self-contained, they don't go beyond that, but at least gives the people like us a chance to talk about those things and, and talk about the show in a relevant manner. Uh, see, see, you're looking for relevance. I mean, I'm pulling the Cartman from South Park, the I do what I want kind of thing going on. Uh, you know, if we want to talk about something other than other than mainstream EU, if we want to bring in some Clone Wars thing, fine, we do what we want. Uh, we can do whatever we like, we like. Anyway, um, another thing that uh, comes up, we had talked about the Essential Guides and some of the the out-of-universe guides a little bit ago, the out-of-universe books. Uh, two that actually stood out to me also this year. One's probably kind of obvious, the other one maybe not so much. From a guidebook standpoint, we had the Essential Guide to Star Wars, or the Essential Guide to Warfare. I was looking at Star Wars year by year. I gotta stop looking at the list when I'm talking. <laughs> uh, we have the Essential Guide to Warfare by Jason Fry and Paul Urquhart, which was awesome. We spent some time talking about that. We also, though, from Steve Sansweet, had the Ultimate Action Figure Collection book. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm not a collector of the action figures. I know a lot of people who are. Uh, like, anytime we're on Republic Forces Radio Network and we see new clones show up in the Clone Wars, Barrent is always like, I want a figure of that. They need to make a figure of that. I mean, it's kind of the running gag or one of the running gags. But I've just never really been heavily into it. But this book, I always like Star Wars history, even in, you know, real world terms, how the saga develops, why from the Star Wars library exists. And this is really the history of those action figures. It goes through the action figures, the vast majority of them, uh, in order by name, uh, by just, you know, you know, Moff Tarkin is under M. It's kind of a weird way that they set up the names, but they try to go by figure names and whatnot. And, I mean, you've got page after page after page after page, for instance, of figures for Anakin Skywalker, for uh, the clones. I mean, I think the clones is the wow. biggest section, for Vader and such. But you've got all the different ones. It tells you what line it was in, what year it came out, little comments to go with almost each and every one, which is a lot of comments. And... 
you know, everything from the mainstream figures to some of the oddball ones that you would barely ever hear about. I mean, they're in there. I mean, it shows his incredibly extensive knowledge. Now, granted, there are some errors that we've run into from time to time. I mean, we got Antares Draco and Ganner Krieg being confused as to which one's leading the Imperial Knights the way that one of the comments is set up. But, I mean, broadly speaking, it's a wealth of information for those who are either into figures or curious about them. So I was impressed with that one as well. I think all of our essential guys this year were top-notch. I, I have a question on the action figure one. I haven't had a chance to check it out. I have. It's uh, Tomart's uh, Encyclopedia of Action Figures on my shelf. It's an old one someone had bought for me. And, and, you know, I used to collect them up the wazoo. Now it's down to, you know, I got to have, you know, I see one and I'm like, I got to have this guy. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm right there where I've got them up on the shelf, you know, and I, I've got boxes of open ones. You know, like last night I was going through my stuff and I got the uh, Dark Horse ones out, but I found my old Clone Wars, the the Gendy series action figures, and I just I had no space for them yet, and so I had to put them back inside the box. I'm like, ah, you know, I, and I got a lot of stuff like that. But the the question I have is, does it talk about the the posability of these figures? And and I got a reason why. Yes and no. It doesn't so much go into detail on like. At what point in the production process they switched between how many points of articulation they had versus, you know, the early ones. But when there are ones that are specifically redesigned to have more points of articulation, it will say so. Like, you know, if there's a, an Anakin that looks very similar to another, but this one has more points of articulation so you can pose it, uh, you can pose it better, then it will flat out say that. Nice. Like, let me give you an example of just one of these. Like a... I just, I just flipped to the Clone Troopers page. Um, the featured ones that have like a special whole section of a page to themselves, one example is Clone Trooper Utapau. It's page 101. It's 2006. It's from the Revenge of the Sith uh, TSC, the Saga Collection line. It says, this repaint of a super articulated Clone Trooper, that's going on with the articulation thing, was a good army builder. Obi-Wan led a large invasion force of Utapau, so there was plenty of source material for action figures. Utapau is an arid and windy planet dominated by deep sinkholes. Its native Pa'uans and Utai live on carved-out levels of the sinkholes. The planet is not, or was not a member of the Galactic Republic when General Grievous brought members of the Separatist Council there. So those get sort of more detail, but then you get one like uh, Clone Trooper 5th Fleet Security right next to it, but not featured. 2006, Expanded Universe slash the Saga Collection line, so it tells the source material, then it tells what collection it's in. This battle-worn trooper is another repaint of the standard white clone, although a similar color scheme is used on a deluxe trooper set. Every single figure wow. gets some kind of detail like that. I mean, that it's awesome. That is, that's that's worth it because okay, you know, I, I'm finding I actually like the Clone Wars figures more than the standard ones because of the points of articulation. They're able to be posed in a lot more ways where the characters aren't falling over because of their backpack or their gun or any of this thing. You don't have to balance them precariously against something else. Uh, but you know, the the uh, Utapau guy you were just talking about, I've got right now three of them on my bookshelf two of them that are exactly the same and one that's like him but his helmet comes off i've got them with cody and the airborne trooper you know they're all grouped together with the 501st guys all you know below them but yeah that that to me was one of the big things i would as a collector when i was collecting you know when i because i was ocd with this you know i i had the money at the time so i was just you know I, that was my obsession and i would like i said three sometimes of some of these characters and i would get so 
dang, so bummed that I would almost say pissed off because when I would open them up and they would have such lousy points of articulation or where they almost felt like they were the seventies toys where they only had like the, the weird square crotch movements and they could barely move their all the legs didn't bend, the arms didn't bend. Gosh, it would just tick me off because I would want to pose them. That was what was fun for me was putting them into different poses and different little scenes and, and, and setting up different actions. Cause I would go in into my room and I'd tinker with them every now and again. When I go to clean them and dust them off, I'd rechange the poses. Like, I have a lot of fun just tinkering in that, in that way. And the one thing that would always drive me nuts was when one would look really cool in the package and I would sit there and debate whether or not to open it or go out and buy a second one. And I'd go out and buy a second one and open it. And then I was like, man, I should have just left this in the package. And, and, and that, you know, knowing that that, book does that i may actually go out and get that at some point because that sounds like a very handy thing in going back and buying like i said right now i'm at the point where i buy the ones that i really like there's some like cruck uh jason and jana solo that i just you know the local stores around here didn't have and i would love to get them someday but that kind of stuff is it's handy to have that's nice information from a collecting standpoint yeah and this does give you a quick guide i mean there's a little bit of introduction but not much of one. And then it goes into the actual guide to the figures. I mean, it's just a guide to the figures for the most part. But it also gives you a guide to the different product lines, like how you can recognize one package from another, from different runs, especially if it was the same figure on different cards. And you got to love a guy who ends his introduction with a quote, not from the films, but a quote from The Force Unleashed 2. He ends it with, that which you seek, inside you will find, from Yoda in front of the cave talking to Starkiller nice. back in The Force Unleashed 2. Um, speaking right. of real-world guides, we also got a couple updates this year, albeit ones that in one case was necessary, one thing I think probably wasn't. We got Star Wars Year by Year, an updated edition of that. I haven't even picked that one up because it's a fairly expensive book, and while I love the original Year by Year, I don't think it's necessary to buy it again just for a tiny bit of new material in the back. Um, there was also the updated uh, Ultimate Visual Guide. It was Ultimate Visual Guide, yeah. Updated and expanded, and that like one was that our one. first glimpse at an order for the Clone Wars series. When Ryder Wyndham, uh, who wrote, was that Ryder Wyndham too? Yeah, that was Ryder Wyndham too. Yeah, I'm getting myself confused again. Uh, when they <laughs> uh, put out the order for the episodes of the Clone Wars for the very first time, as far as the way we read them in that book, minus one error, matching up to something that Leland Chi uh, and, and I discussed at one point in time, just kind of me trying to get a feel for the order of them. So it's glad I'm glad to see that they are finally putting an episode order out there, even if it's not something that is, you know, this episode, then this episode, then this just listed. But Leland Chi's now doing that on the Star Wars blog. So he, they are building off the foundation there. Uh, again, year by year, did you ever even, I haven't even taken a look at the new edition. All I know is it's only got a couple new pages and I couldn't justify the price tag. Now, in the year by years, that's each publication, right? Like this movie came out, this book came out, this magazine. Uh, kind of year by year, it's like the uh, Marvel Chronicle or DC Comics year by year where there's a two-page or a four-page spread for each year and it's just full of different boxes with information on a bunch of different things that year. Doesn't have to be necessarily books and comics, though a lot of them are, but stuff like new toy lines being introduced, uh, new events in the saga itself, new events behind the scenes, notable deaths, notable births. I mean, a lot of stuff like that, albeit with a couple of, of questionable political references and political comments that are made within the book itself that kind of uh, mm -hmm. lean in a particular direction. Yeah, no, I, I I didn't get it. Typically, that's not something that I I really care too much for. I like I like sticking mainly to the in universe things or or the guides, the essential guides and stuff. 
Uh, you know, like the other ones like that that I haven't got, uh, Star Wars Origami, uh, the Star Wars Cookbook. Oh, man, Star Wars Origami is cool, but freaking hard. Yeah. I, I am not good at folding origami, although I did make what looked like a mutated, half-melted Millennium Vulcan at one point using the Star Wars Origami book. Nice. Well, you know, they had they had the the Star Wars craft book, I believe, last year, and I didn't get that for the same reason. And then I saw that you can actually learn how to knit slash crochet a R2-D2 beanie, and I'm like, oh, I got to get that just for that alone, you know. But uh, another one like that that, that really wasn't too, like, I got to get it was the a Galactic Pop-Up Adventure. And then they had uh, Darth Vader and Son, which was kind of like uh, the far side in a sense, kind of like Calvin and Hobbes-like. Uh, you know, humor in that regard. And I believe they're going to have a sequel to that. Are they not? I think so, if I remember right. Yeah, like Vader and Daughter. Um, you know, and and the Star Wars in history, that's another one that, uh, you know, I just, I really had no jumping desire oh. to go out and see. But Star Wars, in, Star Wars in history is really pretty good, but don't expect like a through line for it. It's not one author writing all of it. It's different, basically, essays on Star Wars in relation to history, uh, and it's all edited by a particular pair. Although, I mean, the essays are really good. I mean, expect deep historical insight, not just utter fluff in this particular book. It's it's good for the history buffs, or the ones who maybe read uh, uh, the different, like, you know, Star Wars Magic of Myth or Power of Myth, those two books, but it's definitely not for everybody. Uh, now, when it comes to the short stories, we're talking Insider, right? And and if we're talking Insider, I'm not off the top of my head sure if A Third Lesson, the story of Malgus, uh, was in 2012 or if it was the end of 2011. I know that that's right when I jumped back into Insider again, and that was one issue I had missed during the waiting for my subscription to kick in and trying to find it here in my local town. Uh, since then, I've actually found a place that does get it all the time. They go out of their way, too, so I'm, I'm just kind of watching the date. I have decided I'm not going to go back to resubscribing with Insider because every time I do, it, it, I, it's, it's the renewing process and getting it. I always have such headaches and issues that it's just I'm going to pay the extra money and just get it from the mm -hmm. counter. Yeah, I'm starting to think that way, too. I'm, I'm a subscriber, and actually today... As we're recording this today, December 8th is our recording date for this. I got my copy of the newest issue, the one that's got that short story heist in it to tie into Scoundrels. And this is the second or third time I've had to contact them to have them send me a new copy because it shows up in the mail, even in that little baggie, beaten all to crap. And in this case, it was yeah. bent, it was torn, and it, I mean, that's bad enough. The Clone Wars magazine is even worse because the Clone Wars magazine doesn't show up in a bag or any kind of thing. It just shows up loose. And that thing almost always shows up, at least banged up for me, and I probably had to have them send me maybe half of them uh, again. Because the I had the same torn up. issue, and, and my son, he gets Boy's Life magazine, and they send me scouting because I, I'm one of the leaders of his den. And they come perfectly fine. And I, and I, you know, it used to drive me nuts too. And sometimes you'd occasionally, because you complain so often, you get like two or three in a row where they'd send them in like a hard kind of cardboard type case. You know, you just call like constantly. I had for a while there one year where I almost had every one of them duplicated because of how messed up they were. And so uh, the ones that were all messed up, I remember I was just cutting out really cool pictures and like sticking them on things around the house. I'm like, ooh, look at that. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a good thing the way that they wind up being sent. I mean, they're not very protected, unlike, say, ordering from things from another world, where they come in those nice, hard 
packages, even single comic book issues. But, you know, this is my same mailman who at one point decided just out of nowhere that, well, I had moved. And oh. I hadn't. But that was right when I was getting ready to start writing for the Wars, the Battle of Phobos stuff. So I had a bunch of materials coming to me to help me write, and all of them got sent back to the sellers, and all of them got sent back uh, to the different individuals because oh. he just decided I had moved for no apparent freaking reason. I was still getting junk mail, but nothing actually addressed to me. Uh, before we wrap up, I know oh, wow. there are some we have not really dealt with too much because we gave them each uh, episodes of their own. Uh, be remiss to not mention that we also have Scourge. Right, uh, that revamping of the Tempest feud RPG scenario from Wizards of the Coast. We also had X-Wing Mercy Kill that we focused on as we focused on the entire X-Wing series. Uh, very good book, albeit not really worthy of the name X-Wing. Definitely maybe a name for Wraith Squadron Mercy Kill. Uh, and from, an, from a prose fiction standpoint, we also have Win or Lose All that's not out yet as of the time that we are recording this. Now you said with that winners lose all that's ebook. Is that going to be a free one like the Sith ones, or are they no. going to actually charge on this? No, they are charging on that one. You can pre-order it though if you have a digital reader, and whenever it releases, it'll automatically download on your reader the next time that it syncs. I mean, it's fairly cheap. Hmm. I want to say it was like five bucks or something like that. Uh, I'd have to actually go back and check, but I bought it on my Nook, so as soon as it comes time for it to release on Tuesday of this week, I guess the day before this gets released for folks to listen to, it'll download on the Nook. Now, I'm wondering if they're going to put that in the back of a book down the road. Because, see, I, I mean, I, I bet you're probably like, well, I'm paying five bucks. I don't want it to. But I, I'm like, man, I don't want to pay the five bucks. I want it in a, I want it in a physical form. I, ah, it's the timeless pain in the butt with me, I guess. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting here once again waiting for the word I'm desperately hoping for. Right. Now, I, I did just check while you were saying that. It's actually it's not five bucks. It's one ninety nine. So it's not all that expensive. I mean, it's oh, about that's a, not bad. It's an app. And, I mean, I remember, I mean, yeah, we've sort of been spoiled recently with Lost Tribe of the Sith being free. But back in the day, I mean, the first times we were ever getting Star Wars ebooks, you know, Fool's Bargain and that sort of thing, they were all ones that we had to pay for. It's just at least now, instead of paying for them and getting them through different reader programs on the computer that eventually become obsolete, so a lot of the files you can't read anymore, at least now we've got, you know, Kindle, Nook, Sony e-reader. We've got these sort of mainstream platforms that hopefully at least will not wind up just dying at some point and leave us in the lurch where we have no access to our digital content anymore. So I'm I'm cool with it. And if you if you want to add it as a bonus to some other book, that's fine. You know why? Cuz they're not saying that it's an exclusive that you can only ever get this way. They're not pulling a The Force Unleashed Hoth mission load of crap on these. I'm cool with it. I'm fine. We are fine. And I think that's a good point to uh, jump off. That about wraps up this episode, right? Yeah, unless you want to go into the uh, Secret Life of Droids kind of younger reader book, or if you want to start talking recipes in the Star Wars cookbook, those also came out in 2012, but we really don't have much to say about them. That's true. I don't. I don't know about Wookie you. Wookiee cookies, etc. Et <laughs> Whistler might, but we don't care what you think, Whistler. You don't eat, <laughs> droid. Uh, well, yeah, I guess technically energy, but you know, you're not a Transformer, so don't get all ahead of yourself. Don't have delusions of grandeur, droid. <laughs> all right, remember, folks, you can find our show at StarWarsReport.com. 
as well as on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms. You can find us on iTunes, Zoom, and of course airing on Middle Earth Network Radio, MyMiddleEarth.com, of course. If you liked our show, be sure to drop us a review on iTunes or on the Zoom Marketplace. Or just fire off an email. You can email us at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Yep, the same way you can get us on Facebook, facebook.com slash SWBeyondFilms with no the, and the same thing on Twitter at SW Beyond Films. So, once again, this has been Nathan Butler and Mark and Whistler. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That they'll reprint Win or Lose All in a paperback and people will gripe. Or that we're going to see Book of Sith in a non-holocron version. Or that Star Wars publishing will even continue once Disney gets its hands on it. Because, because it's, and I've even got the cordless phone in here, so Jody couldn't pick it up even if it wasn't a telephone. <laughs> I just restart that uh, that last line. Yeah. Let me get the phone. Mother, <laughs> come on. There we go. Trying again.